0: we could really, literally clone teachers, we'd be in a good spot, but in absence of that, I think being able to create these videos has been a really, really incredible resource. I, as a teacher, can't really physically teach two classes at one time, but when I'm using video as an instructional tool, I can be able to deliver instruction to more than one group of students in more than one physical location. At the same time, you're listening to EdTech Heroes, a podcast that looks at how teachers in today's classrooms can use technology to improve student learning. In each episode, a hero in the world of education will share their story and discuss how innovation can influence the minds of the next generation. Let's jump in.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to EdTech Heroes. I am your host, Neff, and today I'm excited to be joined again by Olivia Nelson. Olivia is a former K-12 teacher and administrator. She has experience in standards-based instruction and culturally responsive pedagogy, and she leads all professional development for educators at Screencastify. Olivia, welcome back to
0: EdTech Heroes. Thanks, Neff. I'm super excited to be back. This is one of my favorite things that I get to do.
1: The last time we had you on was a few months ago. We were coming into the school year, and now we're talking in December, about to approach winter break. What's happened in the past few months? What has the first half of the school year been like?
0: Yeah. Well, what has it not been like, I feel like, is the real question. I am absolutely blown away by teachers sort of resilience, resourcefulness, the way that educators are handling this year in education. I think coming sort of out of, which we're not quite out of, right, but moving out of the pandemic as we knew it, you know, I think some teachers kind of expected this year to maybe be easier and or back to normal. And I I just... In my communication and, and interactions with educators, that has not really been the case. But I am absolutely blown away by the way that educators across the board kind of continue to show up every day for students and to make learning possible no matter what. I mean, they're facing all kinds of things from, you know, budget cuts in an already strapped for resources context to teacher shortages in a job where. They already have so much on their plates to all kinds of macro level sort of policy changes that are affecting what teachers can and can't do within classrooms. And I've just seen overall and across the board that teachers are kind of sticking with it and doing whatever it takes to make sure that students are still learning and quite frankly, learning even more quickly than they have historically given sort of the kinds of gaps and learning loss that that people are experiencing. So I've just again to say it for the fourth time. I think that teachers are doing just an absolutely incredible job with all of these things that no one could have expected that are being thrown at them.
1: Yeah, totally. I feel like we went through the pandemic and there was almost this conversation. If we can just get through this, then things are going to be back to normal. And now there are all of these other ancillary challenges that folks are attempting to face in their classrooms and overcome. I think the last time you were on the podcast, you talked a little bit about this idea of teachers cloning themselves through video. Is that something that is helpful as teachers kind of attempt to go through these challenges? How do they leverage that in this era of education?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in absence of like an actual cloning machine, I think that video is like as helpful as it gets in terms of being in more than one place at one time. Right. Like if they could, we could really literally clone teachers, we'd be in a good spot. But in absence of that, I think being able to create these videos has been a really, really incredible resource as folks are seeking to, you know, kind of do the same things with less, so to speak. So one, I think that being able to share resources and video being a shareable resource is something that is absolutely amazing. I, as a teacher, can't really physically teach two classes at one time, especially if they're in two different physical locations. But when I'm using video as an instructional tool, particularly for the direct instruction portion of any given lesson, all of a sudden with video being sort of a a resource that can be used simultaneously in, I mean, up to hundreds of places at a time, now, right, I can be able to deliver instruction to more than one group of students in more than one physical location at the same time. And so I think that just that has been sort of invaluable, again, in trying to achieve the same outcomes, if not better outcomes for students in a lot of times in contexts where there just isn't, there aren't a lot of resources. I think that also when we think about sharing, it's a time Issue Right. When I think about planning all of the lessons that I have to teach, in addition to the eight, we'll say eight, even though many times teachers are working more than that, hours a day that teachers are serving physically in the classroom, there's all of this time that goes into planning instruction. And when teachers can share instructional videos and other resources, it alleviates some of that planning time so that teachers are freed up to do other things. Right. And so I think that it's really, really incredible to see teachers sharing resources, collaborating, using video as a way to preserve their time, their energy, their ability to do their jobs well, you know, in terms of student outcomes and and what that means. I would say that's the first thing is is just sharing. And then I think communication is another big one that I have seen teachers really, really kind of lean on video for. So actually, I would say not even just teachers, right? So I see administrators communicating with teachers via video as kind of one of the ways that video has come into play here. Again, to talk about time saving, when I'm a teacher and I have all of these things to do, particularly when... You know, I have teachers on my staff that have quit or left, and I've had to take on some more responsibility, which many teachers in this country are having to do. That staff meeting for an hour after school is is really going to make it difficult for me to get everything done that I need to. And so I've been really excited about the way that administrators have leaned on video to communicate with teachers also and to help teachers have a little bit more autonomy over their time, right? Historically, it's like you have to be this place at this time in order to receive this information. And nobody is questioning the importance of the information, but that sort of rigid schedule on top of everything else that teachers have going on can create a really difficult situation for a lot of teachers. So I've been really excited to see admin use that in order to free up time, build in more autonomy for teachers so that, you know, they can really make decisions about the best ways to use their time in this particular context. And then also, obviously, teachers can do that same thing with students and families, right? So, you know, I can create a video as a teacher and share it with students and or families, and they can view it when and how it makes sense for them, whether that's classroom announcements or actual instructional materials, it's just a really, really important way that teachers have been able to stay on top of that communication with families, even with all of the other things that that they have on their plate.
1: So I, I think when we divorce ourselves from this idea that everybody has to have instruction in the same place at the exact same time, then it opens up this whole world of possibility in terms of what classroom models could look like and really more broadly, what education can look like. So when you think about it, what are some of the classroom models that you've seen be really effective and what types of things are teachers now able to do when they have sort of this rewatchable, pausable video that they're using to deliver instruction?
0: Yeah, so it's a great question and I will start my answer with a confession. My confession is that when I started my teaching career, I was working in a classroom with desks in rows, very sort of traditional, me standing in the front of the classroom, disseminating information to students. Later, I moved to a school that had really small class sizes where we did a lot of centers and rotational small group learning. And that shift was really difficult for me based on kind of what I was used to. And so that's my confession, and I'll follow it immediately with a shout out to all of the teachers that are teaching right now that are going out and taking the risk of trying something new. A lot of it is probably out of necessity, but it's still not easy, right? So being that person that is willing to try out a new model and or advocate to an administrator that what we have currently isn't working um, Is a big deal. And so huge shout out to all of the educators working right now that are doing that really difficult but really important work. So there's my confession, my shout out, and now I'll actually answer your question. So In terms of learning models that I've seen folks adopt, I would say that one of them that I've seen kind of a lot more often that we've talked about previously together, but also I know you've talked to other folks on the show about is flipped learning. And so kind of weighing some of the core learning outside of the classroom, again, to your point about not all being in the same place at the same time, trusting that I can share instructional materials via video. And students can engage with those materials when and where it works for them. And we can use instructional time in kind of more innovative ways, whether that means small group work, whether that means kind of giving students a little bit more choice and autonomy within the classroom, right? That learning model I've seen gain a lot of traction. And again, I've seen folks who maybe never even dreamed of trying something like that experiment with it and and find success in various kind of Ways and formats. The other one, which I think is sort of related, that I've seen people get really excited about is student led learning. And so, you know, have seen student led learning happen in a variety of ways, whether it's just students choosing from a variety acti- of activities and video being one of those can really, really encourage students to kind of one, learn themselves as learners. So now I know, you know, Oh, Miss Nelson, I watched the video last time you gave a choice and I had a really hard time paying attention. I need to actually be in the small group with the teacher because I need more of a kind of back and forth there. Or, right, I've seen also, in addition to students knowing themselves as learners, it allows teachers to be a little bit more purposeful in understanding their students as learners, right? So now all of a sudden, I can kind of think about who my students are as learners and give them the option to engage with the material in a way that works for them. I think another kind of student-led learning model is self-paced learning. So even if the previous way that I described is kind of everyone is still doing the same lesson or topic or objective, so to speak, it's just different ways of tackling that versus the self-paced model where I as a student am moving through the actual objectives and unit at the pace that works for me. So not just the activity itself being different, but the, the objective and the thing that I'm learning being different based on how much time I need to learn it, how difficult it was for me, what kinds of activities I need to engage in to really understand the material. I've seen video be really, really successful in those kind of self-paced environments. You know, and I again, I've seen people just be so creative with what that looks like, whether it's putting a physical kind of map in the room where students are moving through rotational centers and deciding when they're ready to go to the next center or station, or it's kind of creating playlists in whatever kind of LMS or format works for the teacher and the students. I just have seen some really, really innovative things pop up in terms of how teachers are allowing students to make those decisions for themselves about when they're ready to learn the next thing. So those would be kind of two of the big things that I would say, blended learning and student-led learning, where I've seen video be a huge, huge piece of creating a successful environment for those things. Totally.
1: I think that we've talked about some of those things in different episodes of the show. But I think what's always striking for me is when we put students in a position where they have some ownership over their own learning, The dividends that we get from that are just enormous in terms of engagement, in terms of what portion of the learning they actually retain, so many things. But on the flip side, when we think a little bit about the families that are a part of that learning, it can feel so novel, right? Like most of us and most parents that we're interacting with went to school in the way that you described starting out your teaching career, right? Where they sat in a desk in a row, they got all of the information at the exact same time as their peers. And now as they're interacting with their kids and hearing about this idea of choice or this idea of them pacing their own learning, that can feel just absolutely crazy. So how do teachers start to engage with parents to get them on board with these innovative classroom models and ensure that they are partners in education?
0: Oh, you got two hours, Neff? No, just kidding. But I think that this is something we could talk for ages about. I think Really getting parents involved, if you ask any teacher anywhere, they're going to say that that is a critical piece of, you know, having successful student education. Historically, we have created environments where parent involvement sort of, a lot of the time is parent-teacher conferences, right? Parent involvement is more of a summative conversation with parents, hey, this is what we've been doing and this is how your child has been doing on that thing. And what I think is really, really exciting about the moment that we're in right now is that I'm starting to see a lot of teachers view parents and families and and the community at large as more of a partner in this process, right? It's not that my job is to teach and then update you on what I've taught. Instead, it's that our job as parents and families and community and educators is to come together to make sure that students have everything they need to be successful, right? So I think that that kind of mindset is really exciting as opposed to one that I've seen historically. And I think that video is playing a pretty big role in that for, you know, numerous reasons. The first being that parents just have access to instructional materials in a way that really they haven't historically. Right. Um, You know, I, I know a lot of schools welcome parents to come sit in classrooms and kind of engage with class material in real time. But a lot of parents have really prohibiting schedules and that that just isn't possible. Right. For me to go and kind of watch my student learn math at one in the afternoon on a Tuesday just isn't going to work for everything else that I have on my plate as a parent. So the ability to kind of access the information via video in the same way that my students are is really, really exciting because now all of a sudden I know exactly what it is that my student has been taught I can kind of better understand how well my student understands that material based on my own understanding of it, right? And so I think that that is one thing that is really, really exciting and definitely kind of bolstering this partnership attitude for parents and families and teachers. Another thing that I have seen that I'm super excited about is creating a two-way street for communication with parents, right? So historically, a lot of times, I think that, again, teachers have been the ones calling parents, saying, hey, this is how your student is doing. Hey, could you help your student out with this? You know, that kind of thing. And I I think that a lot of folks are moving toward having really open communication go both ways, where teachers are a lot more comfortable reaching out to, to to students, where parents are more comfortable reaching out to teachers to be able to say, hey, my student seems to be struggling with X, Y, and Z. How can you as a teacher support them? Or how can I as a parent, where are the resources for me as a parent to be able to support my student with this at home? Right. And so I think having that two-way communication is really critical in terms of making sure that everyone has what they need.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think there are two big themes from what you're saying that are super cool. The first being this idea of access, right? And we're not locking you out of the classroom because you have a prohibitive schedule. Or I even think about perhaps parents who maybe don't speak English. When I started out teaching, I started in a school where 90% of the students, there English was a second language. And there was this language barrier a lot of times when I was trying to interact with parents who so desperately wanted to be a part of the conversation. I think about things like uploading a video to YouTube and being able to turn on the auto-translation feature for subtitles and that being a way of providing access. Or maybe a parent is working working the third ship and they need to be able to watch that video at two o'clock in the morning. That's access, right? And then on another level, we also think a little bit about this idea of this asynchronous conversation where we don't have to play phone tag between school and home and we can each sort of communicate at our own time. So maybe that teacher is recording the first message at two o'clock in the afternoon during their planning period and that parent is responding at nine o'clock at night and there's no sort of expectation that that teacher is then getting back to them at nine o'clock at night right but but that sort of thing is really cool and I think that we're talking a lot about innovation and changing the model but it sounds like what you're positing is that we also change the model in which we use to communicate with families yeah
0: absolutely Cool, cool.
1: Yeah, just kind of giving everybody an opportunity to engage in ways that make sense for that individual, which is super cool. So as our first returning guest here at EdTech Heroes, you should be familiar with our segment where we ask you to share some tips and advice for teachers. During our time together, we've spoken a little bit about sort of this landscape and how it's changing in the future. What are some tips that you have for teachers heading into 2023 for the second half of the school year or perhaps beyond?
0: Yeah, I have one huge tip that I think covers no matter what kind of technology or classroom environment or whatever we're talking about, and that is don't be afraid to be a newbie. I think that it is going be extremely scary, to try out new things. And we are in a moment where the things that people are trying are exciting, they're different, and a lot of the times they are working. And I think when we see other people experiencing success with new technology, new classroom models, all of that kind of stuff, it can feel like, oh, I don't want to try that because I don't want to be new and unsuccessful. And I just want to remind folks that everyone was new at everything at some point, right? And so don't be afraid to try something just because you're going to be new at it because that is the first step to being good at it is being new and bad at it, right? And so I i just want, you know, again, to i I had to take this advice myself, but just regardless of what kind of technology it is, even if it seems to be totally different from anything you've ever tried. Just don't be afraid to be new at it. That includes asking questions, making mistakes, and give your students the same grace. We're all trying new things all the time. And the more we are risk takers in that environment, I think the better results that we will see. For sure.
1: I guess every expert initially starts as a novice and embracing that beginner's mindset and not being afraid to fail and all of those things I think ultimately make us better professionals so I think that's awesome advice right regardless of what it might be that thing that you've been scared to try that platform you've been scared to sign up for give it a go. It might work. It might not. But even if it doesn't, that is totally okay. We want to model that behavior for our kiddos. So even if it doesn't work, that's actually fantastic. We get to show our kids how to fail forward and to be able to garner some lessons out of things that don't quite work out the way that we thought they would. Totally. So one last question for you. What are some of your favorite online resources to share right now? What are some of the things that are making you think, that are pushing you forward? Where can we go to find out more?
0: Yeah, so I will reveal myself as kind of a big nerd and say that anything that has to do with kind of macro level education trends is really interesting and exciting to me. So there are all kinds of news sources. Wherever you get your news, check out the education column in that news source and see what is going on on a macro level. Obviously, that stuff tends to eventually impact what we do in a classroom setting and in a school setting. So I am always just like looking at kind of that kind of stuff every single day. I'm reading tons of articles about education. And so I would recommend it because some of those kind of ideas or um, that collaboration can come out of looking at what other people are doing other places and kind of what trends might be coming down the pipeline. So that would be the first. And then the second is kind of A little bit of an answer that I'm sure everyone who's ever been an educator would agree with, which is just check out Twitter, Pinterest, anything else that is sort of crowdsourced information where folks can freely exchange ideas. Educators have some really great ideas and we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we go to teach something, try something new. There are people more than likely that have done what you're doing before and have some insight into how it works and what the best way to do it is. And so you can find all kinds of ideas, resources, and stuff like that in some of these sort of crowdsourced information hubs. So I would encourage you to check out the official news and then the unofficial news. Yeah, those other websites as well. Yeah, I
1: like that bifurcation I also like that you have directed us to sort of just check out everything, right? Like there certainly is value in following specific folks on Twitter and Pinterest and all of those places, but there's also something to be said for, I need to be able to teach my kids about the Declaration of Independence and I'm gonna just search for that thing and see what comes up in terms of what conversations have previously been had on Twitter or what sort of resources have previously been pinned on Pinterest. So even if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't quite have my PLN completely down pat on some of these online communities, that might be okay. Just search for the conversations that you're interested in at that particular moment. And that might lead you to some folks that you really enjoy or perhaps it just leads you to a resource that is really, really dope and you're able to use with your kids. So really love that super salient advice. Yeah, awesome. All right, Olivia, thank you so much for joining EdTech Heroes again. And listeners, be sure to visit the Screencastify resource center. You'll find tons of things written by Olivia over there. So if you liked what she was talking about here, there's a whole lot more where that came from. You can also check her out on the Screencastify YouTube channel where she talks about tons of ways to use Screencastify and to push your classroom forward. My name is Neff and I'm looking forward to seeing each and every one of you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of EdTech Heroes
0: presented by Screencastify. Screencastify is the leading video creation tool for creating more personal learning experiences. If you enjoyed what you learned in this episode, be sure to follow EdTech Heroes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit screencastify.com to get immediate access to all the latest episodes.